Hi, everyone. My name is Fana Fraza, and I am an artist, educator, a full-spectrum doula, and I am so happy to share this, my first film directed by Haruna Azumi and made in collaboration with a wonderful group of creatives, producers, and artists. This film is titled Nesting, and I have been working from a reproductive justice lens for the past several years. I am thinking about the Black Atlantic. I'm thinking about Black Light. I am playing with dance as always. I am listening and responding to the rhythms, the ebbs, the flows, the waves of my own body and my body in dialogue with the Black Atlantic, with uh, other bodies, with bodies imagined, resuscitated. I have been working also with the text from Alexis Pauline Gums, Undrowned, with the text from M. Jackie Alexander, Pedagogies of Crossing, with my own writing and poetry and sound and song making. Greetings, everyone. Uh, this is the stage platform. And my name is Sonia Dumas. I'll be in conversation with Neela Ebanks of Jamaica and Shivani Ramlochan of Trinidad and Tobago. I am from Trinidad and Tobago. So too is the artist, Fana Fraser. She's from Trinidad and Tobago. And we'll be in conversation about Fana's work, her latest work, which is a short film, which considers many themes that we have identified that can look at the Caribbean experience. It's uh, more than just the Caribbean experience, of course, but we are looking at it from uh, or through a Caribbean lens. So I hope that you can partake in this. I hope that you enjoy it and on with the show. Shivani, it's a pleasure to be discussing Fana's work with you. You have known Fana, I think, longer, certainly longer than I have, and I've known her since her teens because you all went to school together, to high school together. Of course, you've grown together as artists, and you've grown into your own artists and into your own artistry. Uh, Fana in dance and you in writing, and you've both done spectacular things to push the envelope for Trinidad and Tobago and, and its sort of contemporary aesthetic in both of those forms. The first thing I'd want to ask you is your reaction, your just sort of visceral reaction to the, the work itself. Thank you for that, Sonia. It's a delight to be speaking with you and to be speaking with you about Fana's work, which to me has always been radically transgressive in this very instinctive way. And it's true that I've known Fana for a long time. We went to secondary school together, so we would have met when we were 11. And even then, that generative possibility that 
I would call it fierce determination of both of us knowing exactly what we were here to do, here on this earth to do. And of course, that would go on to refine itself in the years that would follow. It's that very strong sense of this is my purpose. This is how I can serve my people and all people and how I can be the best version of myself. And I always felt that for Fana it was through dance because she claimed that so early on. And in a, in a very real way, it helped me to claim writing, specifically poetry, as a thing I was here to do. And now to see Fana embark on film just feels like the most natural pulling together of all of those elements, particularly because what she addresses in this new format is so urgent to to my heart, to both my my private heart as a person, as a queer person, as an LGBTQ plus person living in the Caribbean, being of the Caribbean, and seeing Fana assemble these threads and address them in a format that is both incredibly brief, but but the economy of what is being done resonates, I think, in every second, is deeply inspiring. I think you all make a statement that is not easily ignored, that is is not the necessarily the idyllic view of the Caribbean, that is not necessarily the ugly view of the Caribbean either, but it is contemplating and it is, yes, transgressive and transgressive in a way that really seeks to make people think as opposed to making people walk away. And that's really important for art if it's to be shared. It's important for art to challenge, but not to repel to the point that people just don't want to absorb it. There needs to be that curiosity, even if they don't like it. The film itself speaks to a lot of important themes of the of the moment. It speaks to climate justice. It speaks to protection of the environment. It speaks to the spiritual nature of us all. It speaks to mothering and nurturing. It speaks to identity and uh I wonder if you have any more sort of in-depth thoughts about any of those themes as it pertains to the film. I think what what Fana has achieved in the film through the sight of the body is to not just provoke, as we're talking about the benefits of how art, in this case filmic and, and dance art, can be used not to repel a viewer, but to make them stay, even if they're staying in an uncomfortable questioning. And the film has moments of that, which seem to me to reflect Fana's entire career and genesis as an artist, what she can do, what, to my mind, she has always been able to do with the sight of the body, the body in kinesis, the body protesting, the body trying and failing to circumvent 
the disasters of our age resonates. I mean, it is difficult sometimes, ironically, to find words when confronted with what Fauna does and with what you do, I will add, on a stage and, and in the medium of film, which is such a compressed space and such an intentionally crafted stage. You know, film is, and this film is, a kind of stage in which we are telling the world the world itself is not sustainable as it is. The world itself is on the cusp of a kind of irredeemable decay. And in the abstract, you would think that's difficult to do with a body. But it turns out that when you surrender yourself to the process, you see how movements and emotions make this very apparent. I think the problem with a lot of people who, including myself, who feel alien to the technical and academic structure of dance language, the problem we often have is feeling we lack the language precisely to speak about what we see that moves us. And I think the film, this film is a powerful antidote to that. It says, you do not need that language. You need only to trust your instincts and surrender yourself to it. Indeed, indeed. I think that um, I'm, I'm reading a book now called My Grandmother's Hands. And it speaks about how our trauma and our joy are located in our bodies first. And um, when looking at dance, I, I, I do know what you're talking about because I've had conversations like this before with people who are not centrally dance practitioners, but we are all centrally movers. We move through space and time and um, we juxtapose ourselves against whatever it might be. It might be the coconut trio across the road, but we are in, 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 in conversation spatially and bodily with the things around us. And um, the book is very, very uh, clear and repeats it several times that everything stems from the body. And it is the body that feels everything, the body that holds the trauma. It is the body that, that really holds the key to liberation or to entrapment. Uh, and you have to, to 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 deal with that first. So I'm glad to hear you say that um, Fana's work sort of pushes through that boundary for people who are non-dance practitioners, um, because it really is beyond that. Uh, it is using the body, as most dance even and most movement is, it is using the body to articulate a sense of self, a sense of danger, a sense of comfort. And the more people can relax in, in the face of a performance and just feel it as opposed to try to analyze is the better it will be, you know, for the communication between what's happening by the performers and on the performers and, and what's happening on the audience end. But I want to also kind of bring it to you now. Um, you who are this brilliant poet even your Facebook posts I read and I'm in half in tears when I read them. I feel that um, there's a, 
there might be some kind of, of way in which one of your works or more than one of your works might be not a deliberate, but certainly an inadvertent response, uh, a kind of reflection of what Fana has been doing in this film or what she is doing. So is there any poem that comes to mind, to your mind that, um, you know, that might be in consonance with what she's doing? There definitely is. It's really interesting that we're talking about the power of language now, of the written word. And I, I deeply appreciate what you said about how my work resonates with you. But I remember reading, I cannot remember who said it. I'm sure it's, you know, it's a verifiable source. If we look back into classic quotations, we'll find it. And in the section on art, I remember very clearly reading at about at about 11 or 12, the, the age in which I met Fana, that writing was, this is essentially what the person was saying, that writing was the lowest on the rung of creative expressions in the sense that it was always responsive to the higher art forms that were visual. So painting, sculpture, dance. Uh, I think this quote was written in an age that preceded photography and film, but those are implied that writing was on the lowest rung of that ladder because it was always in a position of response using perhaps the medium that was striving the most to catch up to what was innate and expressive in the body. And while I don't, I no longer think of that quote as negative in any way, actually, uh, I think my relationship to it is to claim what is true from it and to kind of glean and scry around the edges of what might have been negative to embrace the fact that language in its service can, when it is honest and true and is not serving, um, is not serving anything nefarious or sinister, can reach those moments of expression that might otherwise only be seen or, or smelled or perceived with the other senses. And when I write, I often try to do that. And knowing that I can be in a community of creative souls through that kind of expression is deeply important to me. And so the film made me think in its ecological urgency, very strongly of a poem I had written not so long ago. This is a poem that has followed the publication of Everyone Knows I'm a Haunting which is my first and so far only book of poetry. And it's called The World's Oldest Woman Offers Herself for Dissection. I don't know if you think it might be good to read it in this space. Most definitely. So I will read it and then we can talk about it. This was written in response to a call for submissions from Writer's Mosaic, which is a UK-based and, excuse me, and heavily Caribbean-focused online journal. And it was in response to an issue on the climate crisis that we face. The world's oldest woman offers herself for dissection. That canny empress ripped from her colony, shielded the lucifered tallow with her madness, trailing torn lace 
and nitrous promise through Thornfield. Staked through their mad hearts with sargassum seaweed. All madwomen understand it's better to consume the manse with fire. It's better, if you can, to light the lamps on your pathway to hell. To protect myself from burning, I stuffed my old heart full of sphagnum moss. I lay down in the bog of the Cretaceous country and begged for a loamy death. Let every soil cradle me when it's time to go. To keep the fire from the trees, I ate them. Scissor me surgically, and you will find bromeliads from the botanic gardens functioning in place of my pink lungs. Come closer. Lean in. The Guyana Shield wetland forest balances on my breastbone. Roraima's Amazon reservoiring upward into my suprasternal notch. Cut me there and let loose the waterfall. Remember, as I'm laid out on an amphitheater table, what I've said about Madwoman is that we mark the cycle of living and reforestation through fire. Forgive, if you can, the smell of burning human flesh. When the world was first beginning, there was a forest. You can see that, can't you? Staring at my insides, peel back the flesh curtains Jigsaw this mountain range from that one. Witness how deciduous and strange it was. Dear one, delivered mad as I am into our green basin, sanctified, arboreal, calcified soft tissue, deribboned skin as sucker vines, unclassified by modern science. No, I tried to keep growing things alive. Even now, in the year of our fall, 1001, when we are hotter and more intemperate than any combustible hell. It's absolutely sublime. Um, this notion of marking the cycle I think is is something that I see in your work and Fana's most most immediately, because the film also speaks to me of the cycle of the leatherback turtles coming into nest, and that whole nurturing thing and the endangerment of those. And I'm proud to say that Trinidad and Tobago has been proactive, at least a small group. Uh, has been proactive about making sure that that cycle that started how many, more than a thousand and one years ago um, is kept for these turtles, that that site is protected. Um, but your poem speaks of 
of protection in the light of all the destruction, you see? Um, and so I see those parallels, that that notion of protection and, 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 and someone representing the cycle that is not going to be easily cast aside, even though one tries to cast them aside. So thank you for that, Shivani. And are there any other thoughts as we as we close uh, about the the work, your work, Fana's work? I think for anyone experiencing Fana Fraser's work for the first time through this film, that person is going to find themselves enriched, possibly as we said, in ways they can't easily articulate, but in ways that which they will know to be true. That way in which we all know when a work of art is true, when it impacts us, and we leave that space knowing we haven't fully and will never really leave that space, if you know what I mean, that the work is generative. The work is, as we've said, nurturing. The work is intent on focusing on the destructions wrought, but also, and I think you would agree with me, ultimately hopeful in a way that underscores, again, what it is we are all here to do what we are each here to do, how we can do the best we can as a leatherback turtle does, striving for its own survival from the shore to the sea, that we're all capable of that. It's what I hope people will take from this film and that having experienced the film will feel energetic about exploring Fana's extensive back catalogue and also the work of other Caribbean dancers, both based at home in the Caribbean, throughout the diaspora, and around the world, because the ways in which we move historically have a lot to offer the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sonia, and thank you to Fano. And I'm immensely honored to be in conversation with Neela Ebanks, who is one of our leading contemporary artists in the Caribbean. She comes from Jamaica. And uh, she's an artist in the sense of dance and movement practice. And um, welcome, Nila. Yeah, I, I love Fana's work. I, I met Fana in, um, in Trinidad uh, through her work, actually, for New Waves, which is curated by Makeda Thomas. Um, and that might have been 2016. And one of the things that really stood out to me was this sort of unworldly Caribbeanness, this embracing of quirkiness and um even awkwardness through a finely tuned body, you know, which is an aspect of us that we don't necessarily show to the world. You know, we know our own foibles, we know our own awkwardness as Caribbean peoples, but we are usually presented as smiling, you know, highly skilled um gyrating full of joy but there's a different kind of joy that came through Fana's body it's a sort of a, a joy of curiosity um it's like a coming a coming back to finding ourselves again I've, I've been following her work ever since 2016 and we became you know good colleagues and so on she came to Jamaica uh once and um I'm just so excited to be able to discuss this with you and particularly in reference to her newest work Indeed. I mean, I agree with you. Her, her body is finely tuned. She was, you know, highly trained both in here in Trinidad and Tobago 
um, in classical ballet and so forth, um, using that body to explore very, very different um, aspects of herself and her environment and her development. And um, this work, I think, is also very indic indicative of the fact that she is continuing that journey. Um, and I see her work progress. And I love that process of actually making the audience uncomfortable because then it, it, it enjoins them to think in a different way. Yes. And, and to think of the, not only the body, but socio-cultural circumstances in a different way. And um, in this one, in the, in the work that she's currently um, fine-tuning, which is a film, um, she has come into, I would say, many aspects of intersectionality when it comes to understanding femalehood. And um, I would also link it um, to whenever, you know, I've seen the film twice now, and it's very short, but it is so reminiscent of the north coast of Trinidad, where um, the turtles, the leatherback turtles, come to nest. Yes. And they come to nest uh, so that they can, and, and this has been a tradition of these turtles for centuries. So this is the this this notion of tradition, this whole notion of of coming back to renew, uh, this whole notion of care. Yes. There's a there's a scene that where she starts to like cover these eggs, and, and I've witnessed it myself. So I can I I can I see the leather bag turtle emerging from the seas, mm -hmm. and coming onto the shore, and taking great care to 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 lay and cover her babies and protect. And I see that and I and I and I look at that and I think of the importance of the sea to an archipelago like a, as the Caribbean is, the Caribbean island. And um how she has, you know, brought successfully together these these notions of care, mothering, protection the vastness of the sea because she disappears again under the sea and you don't see her at the end. So, you know, again, the mystery is still there. And um, I, I'm really fascinated by how she's been able to put those things together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting you mentioned the leatherback turtles because as soon as I watched it, that is the image. And we also do have, you know, the the the, and the regular hatchings and so on and layings on our north coast. Um and it, it also brought me, I think I mentioned to you, the poet, the Trini poet, uh, Daniel Boudou Fortuné. And there's a work that she had called Mother of Water. And if I could just read the last stanza, because as soon as I watched it, I thought about this stanza, which says, Mother of Water, let them all refuse the sea of their birth, the sea inside. One day, I will make my way back to the light of your ocean. And so it's, it's, it's this kind of, it's, it's this circular, cyclical, um, not just conversation, but re sustaining relationship that we as Caribbean people have with the water around us. We're not divorced and separate from it. Even if we can't swim, it is a sustaining life force for us to be able to generate life, to bring to the land, to have to go back to the water again. And it keeps happening. It happens with our wildlife and it happens with us. And I agree with you in terms of the idea of, of, of femininity, not as a biological construct, 
but as what has been termed or what has been given to the feminine stereotype in the sense of the nurturing and the birthing. But wherever the feminine finds itself, wherever the feminine houses itself in whatever kind of body, whatever kind of gender identity, it is that idea of the sea, the water being regenerating, being a nice crucible for you to be able to, to, to be generative and creative. And then you move through to land and share and you protect that. And then it comes to birth and then you go back again. You create anything in your life. So it's, 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 it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work so far. It is indeed. And I mean, Derek Walcott's famous poem, The Sea is History, oh. also comes to mind. Yes. Um, uh, he speaks directly to the, the, the trauma of the Middle Passage, but he also in that poem speaks to what was birthed in this part of the world. So that, again, it comes to birth, you know, it comes to birth, it comes to renewal, it comes to, okay, well, this has happened, this this middle passage, the horror of the middle passage has happened, and we cannot forget, we must not forget. But there's also this 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 phenomenon of a new society, a rebirthed, a reimagined um, way of living um, out of all of this trauma comes this, this new society. And... Um, Again, it has to do, as you say, with the cyclical nature of things. Um, life is really a circle. <laughs> it's not a square. <laughs> and, you know, I think that, again, she, she speaks to that whole, that whole uh, through the sea and through the motif of the sea, mm -hmm. she speaks to that whole cyclical nature of things. Um, you know, I remember I have a, a friend, he's a choreography person as well. Uh, he comes from Kenya. And he asked me one day, he said, you live on an island. And I said, no, I live in an island. <laughs> like a different, right? Um, he says, but don't you feel abandoned because all that you have around you is sea? And I said, no, actually, I feel that I have an infinite set of possibilities, you know, because the sea is so powerful. It's a powerful narrative in our lives, but is actually what it is. These bodies of water that create different seas are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly mysterious still. Um, and, you know, they go to depths where the humans cannot actually imagine just yet. We think we can imagine them until we get there, <laughs> but we never get there because there's, there's some very structured machine to, to keep the pressure down because um, we are we would we would be literally crushed to death by the weight if we went too far down so that um it's the, the sea rarely is um a, a force to be reckoned with to be negotiated with and to be embraced by caribbean people um i think that that is definitely something that we see Although she did not shoot it in the Caribbean, it's so reminiscent of the the experience. Um, so you can take take the girl out of the Trinidad, but you can't take the Trinidad out of the girl. <laughs> so um, I think that is something that I really, really enjoy. Yes, and I want to connect it to um, your mentioning of Walcott and and the the trauma of the Middle Passage that we are we still live with today. I enjoyed the weight in her body as she was moving through the space and carrying those rocks. That weight is a great deal. We know how many ancestors are buried, you know, in the seabeds. 
it's 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 not just a physical weight it is also <clears throat> a spiritual weight it is also an ancestral weight but that's a, that ancestral weight in the egg is is ripe with possibility and potential so it's it's not we're, we're it's not that we're i want i don't want to say dredging but but our our treasure literally is coming from what was left for us in the depths of the sea you know and so there there's so many layers to see i really enjoyed her her physical body being being weighted and then her dealing with you know the the the, the burying but also understanding that we are burying hmm, those dreams to grow, you know, those hopes and dreams to grow on the land where we are now. And we have to return. We have to keep returning. I mean, I think even about the traditions of, of the Yoruba, who, you know, really reside very strongly in Trinidad, not as strongly in Jamaica um, and other English-speaking Caribbean islands, but at the very least, the understanding of Yamoya, who is the Orisha, responsible for the sea and Olokun, the depth of the sea and the return to the sea so often by those who are practitioners because you must return, you must give back to, you must to be able to receive the blessings of what the sea has to offer us. You know, one, one, one of my favorite things about being in the region is that we are connected by this sea. So even though our colonial histories are different, Different. I mean, they're the same in a number of ways, in in principles, you know, and in some of the things we experience. But we do we do have different lived histories in a way. But at the very least, we're connected. We're not so far apart. It's the same salt water, it's the same morass. It's the same um, flotsam. It's the same seaweed that's traveling. You know, same sand grains are traveling from place to place. We're not so different after all. And the Amerindians, the, the indigenous peoples of the region knew mm -hmm. that, right? They would go from island Islands. to island, in, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Specifically. Canoes, yeah. goats. Mm -hmm. Yes, and they, and they understood the fact that there's this connectivity and they understood the water, which helped them to get from one place to the other. Um, I, I'm I, as you were speaking, that also sort of reflecting on Edouard Glissant, mm -hmm of Martinique, mm -hmm. uh, who has this notion that the sands of this shore have so much history because of what has happened, what has come, what has passed, what has gone, what has been lost, what has been gained. And he said, you know, just walk on the sands. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. but he says, consider the sands that you, that you engage in because that sea has brought so many things and so many things have birthed on these sands. They have died, they have been birthed as well. And um, again, that's this whole notion of things coming together to create a kind of Creole sensibility or sensitivity mm -hmm. uh, is a product of many different things coming from the sea onto the shore, being birthed and rebirthed and reimagined on the shore where we live because we don't we're not aquatic animals not, not just yet, yet. <laughs> and um so i feel that again coming back to her to her aesthetic i really do feel that there's something very powerful there that she's engaged um very um very accessible mm -hmm. in terms of what 
Caribbean person. I'm sure other people as well, but I'm just I'm thinking in terms of where you know the location and the reference points in her work that speak so much to the Caribbean experience. I feel that a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, even a small child might say, "Oh, look, I went to the beach, you know, and all oh, right, I saw the mm-hmm. eggs." <laughs> that in their memory. So it's not just about you know a high intellectual statement. Right. It's about a real kind of experience experience that a child can can relive through this film and um i think it's very successful in that way yeah yeah i I love i love the coloring i love the sounds that the character makes um so so the character is humanoid but not necessarily human but humanoid you know um with with no sound with no special effects just the the artist's body and um and the props and the costume and so on i really I really enjoyed all the various kinds yes. of cuts and so on. Really, really enjoyed it. And I and I I think it's really poignant too because we're at a place now, at least I know in Jamaica, where we're fighting for the for our beaches. We're fighting for our sand because the beaches have been sold as such a concept for tourism, which is important that you know, money has started to drive away our ability to be able to connect with that sand, to stand on it free of cost yes so 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 i know it's not necessarily a word that is based in social justice but at the same time sometimes when you see something like this and it's not words it's a moving body it's images and these images are referential it may move you in a different way to understand the actual significance of us being able to touch that sand to be able to know what is buried in there and protect it so that it can go back to the sea very timely because of all this discussion about climate change, a lot of climate change is as a result of corporate um, sort of interjection into the natural landscape. Corporate, including the tourism corporate kind of structure. Um, so that, uh, especially in small vulnerable states like ours. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed chatting about Fana Fraser's work. We hope that you will follow her work and follow other contemporary Caribbean voices. TBA 21 on stage's editor-in-chief is Francesca Thiessen Bonamitsa. Curatorial assistant, John Aranguren. Project manager, Nina Speranda. Audio editor, Roberto Bosoms. Theme music, Carl Michael von Hauswolf, and I am Madeline Robinson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>